forget about peace. All we're saying is give fighting a chance. Undertale and interesting choices. Tonight on the Commune Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Commune Podcast. This time we will be talking about Undertale and its combat. But before we get to Undertale, I wanted to ask, Fox, how have you been doing these these past few days? Um, pretty good. A little thirsty, and you guys keep offering me soda. But if that's a problem, that's a pretty good problem to have. <laughs> soda just makes you thirstier when you drink it. Yeah. We're one of those restaurants that don't offer free water because you have to pay for the bottle. Oh. Uh, who? What? What restaurant is this? It's my fantasy restaurant. Yourself, how have you been doing? Maybe you should ask the virus currently inhabiting my respiratory system. Will do. Are you sure it's a virus? Shouty, how have you been doing? Hungry. I should have eaten something before the podcast, but oh well. Oh man, well, uh, hopefully our discussion will be uh, sustenance of a different sort. But it won't make me less hungry. Uh, Sanrio, how have you been doing? Um, I'm okay. Nice. Seem to be doing better than some of the other people here. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Adrian, how have you been doing? Yeah, we're in a health crisis scenario <laughs> right now. I just had some delicious sushi before I got here, so I'm doing pretty good. Alright, sounds like we're half and half on our health here. Adrian, what have you been playing? Okay. Four games, Sins of the Solar Empire, Valkyria Chronicles, Ninja Gaiden, and Zelda Second Quest. You getting anywhere in Ninja Gaiden? Are you starting to, to pierce that ending? Yeah, to where the second phase, to where I pretty much have the pattern figured out, but the problem is that, that when you beat the level, you don't get your health refilled on the boss fight. I think it only does that the first time, or at least it only does that on Walt. So when you get to the end of the stage and you only have four pieces of health you don't get much room to really mess around. And because of that boss's particular pattern, it can I've actually timed out on the fight when I was like one point Whoa. away from killing him. So that sucked major balls. So if I recall correctly, Ninja Gaiden's final boss has this weird rule where it remembers the phase you were on when you die. Yes, but you start all the way back on 6-1, which sucks. Yeah, it sounds really unreasonable. <laughs> The thing is that it's the only one they do that. Every other boss, I believe when you die, they just start you back at the beginning of the same level. Yourself is that? Yeah, that's true. They uh, changed the rules for the final level. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah, it's bitchy, but it's not. I got used to it. That final level is not that hard. Ninja Gaiden just has... It's a game you can pretty easily memorize. So ultimately... (laughs) You get forced to play through that stuff 20 times, and you can pretty easily repeat it. I prefer it when I don't have to memorize the level to that extent by virtue of repetition. Yeah. (laughs) It's a rhythm game. Well, I mean, it's not quite... (laughs) It it gets close to Super Meat Boy levels of, I I just memorized the level, I'm not actually getting through completely on reaction and timing. It's not quite there, but it feels sometimes it really does feel like it gets there towards the the last last two ones. 
So for a personal reference point, uh, just for me, how would you compare it to Metal Black in terms of memorization? Metal Black, I didn't have to memorize all that much, really. Okay. You might have better uh, reflexes than me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. memory's still going to play some part of it, just because it's going to like get into my long-term memory whether I want it to or not. But I don't have to memorize exact sequence of moves. I just remember, okay, there's going to be some enemy coming up here. Like, I have a general idea, not to such a specific degree of what I'm memorizing, what I'm recalling. Yeah, I see. Okay. Sanrio, what have you been playing? A bunch of different stuff. Pokemon Pacross, uh, Mario and Luigi Paper Jam. Richard the other day went on this long explanation of why Pokemon Picross is the best thing ever. Uh, what do you think of it? It's good. It's Picross and it's Pokemon. What's the Pokemon aspect of it? It's more than just the the pictures, right? Yeah, it's it's the pictures, and and then you can get Mega Evolutions for some of them, which is really just you get an extra puzzle to unlock after them, and yeah, you can also pot them in your team, so they can have special powers like healing part of the board before the level or in the level or. Fixing or looking all the board and picking mistakes and stuff. That's pretty cool. So you get power ups that help you through the puzzles because yes, it seems like uh, stuff like Picross or Sudoku is kind of a strict learning curve where you start out not getting it at all and then you it's really hard to make progress and then once you get it everything just clicks and uh, yeah, maybe the Pokemon help to smooth out that gap. Mm, yeah, but I've played it so often before too. As a Picross veteran, do you find it satisfying? On the harder puzzles, or the really big ones, then uh, sometimes I could do some help. Plus, there are also these challenges where sometimes I like, um, use this reveal skill or whatever. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Shouty, what have you been playing? Uh, I've also been playing Paper Mario. Um, Mario Luigi Paper Jam, but I like to call it Paper Mario Regular Jam. <laughs> Can you explain how the two combat systems come together? We don't. Paper Mario is just another brother. So it's a three-brother Mario and Luigi? Yeah, basically. And that makes um, dodging some attacks really difficult uh, when an enemy will target all three brothers and try and attack them all at the same time. Yeah, wait. It's, uh, each brother has a different button, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that is one of them on the shoulder button, I hope? No, it's why. Ugh. Is it fair to call it another Mario and Luigi game, or would you say it's more complicated than that? No, it's definitely another Mario and Luigi game. Alright. Paper Mario himself has some gimmicks, but they're not really a reflection of how he controls in his native game. Do you think that's good in that he might clash with the Mario and Luigi gameplay, or do you think that's bad in that you know, it's misleading? I think it's what it is because um, they could have tried to make it something faithful to the original game, but it really would have been that much, wouldn't have stand out that much. Um, what Paper Mario can do is he can make copies of himself to make his attacks stronger and basically make him invincible for, for a few attacks before he starts losing, losing HP. Uh, so even then, it's not simply a third brother. It's uh, He has unique attributes. Yeah, and he can also uh, hover while he's jumping to dodge attacks. Okay. I guess they were also playing with the different attributes in Dream Team, right? Because Luigi had weird stuff going on. 
Well, that depended on which uh, world you were in. If you were in the dream world or the real world. I gotcha. But there is no such that in Paper Jam. Just the regular Mushroom Kingdom with bits and pieces from Paper Mario. All right. Fox, what have you been playing? There was a smattering of things before I ended up settling on uh, Legends of Eisenwald, which is a, a game I kickstarted a couple of years ago. Finally got released. Nice. That sounds like a hardcore uh, Western RPG name. Is that what it is? It's close enough. It's it's more of a strategy RPG. They go hand in hand pretty closely. Strategy RPG. So should I think Final Fantasy Tactics? Pretty similarly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really loose when I say strategy RPG because you've got the acts kind of go like this. You've got a character. You got your character. You go around doing quests, building up a party, and then you conquer so many towns until until it's time to go to the next act. What what I'm saying makes it strategy is that the the combat is is typical class based uh, turn based fighting. Okay, so the draw of it is taking over those towns. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm not really uh, prepared to ask questions about this genre. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Uh, something that's uh, been a little weird about it, and I guess they do it for balance, is that like at the end of each act. They have you escorted, or your character moves off to another part of the country, and along the way you lose all of your party members and inventory, so you need to start anew. So that just happens that once? Every time you finish a particular chapter, you, oh. you lose your party, yeah, you lose all your money, you need to sort of rebuild with your same character. Then Your character's stats and levels stay the same, they lose their party and their influence. So it sounds like that's the interesting part of the game, so you would want that reset, right? Right. I mean, you can see it both ways. The, the bit I'm currently in is, is really challenging. It seems like everyone is extremely over my level, that having a party would make that a little more fairly leveled, but I, I, think, I think that's the way the game's balanced. Yeah. Okay. Even <laughs> though it seems like everyone's over-leveled, that seems like balance? Well, I think the, I think what they're going for in, in this particular chapter is sort of a... I'm supposed to go for a more stealth approach. Oh. So, sneaking around... Uh, Capturing towns people already own, but forcing money out of them anyway. <laughs> that sounds like a thief. Like, like a Robin Hood thing, I guess. <laughs> uh, just like Undertale. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Wait, so what game would you compare the combat to, Fox? I don't know that I can directly compare it to anything. It's, I mean, it's not <clears throat> ultra-complex. It'd be pretty similar to... Final Fantasy Tactics without magic and a hex grid instead. Hmm. Military madness. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Yourself? I've been playing, among other things, Magic Sword, uh, which is a Capcom arcade game from the early 90s. It came out along with Final Fight on PlayStation Network and Xbox Live Arcade. It's a pretty cool game. It is... Sort of in the Ghosts and Goblins vein, I guess, in that it's a side-scroller with some platforming, but really more enemies to deal with, respawning enemies than platforms. But it also has um, a very basic combo system and enemies that uh, have a lot of health that makes it feel kind of beat-em-up-like. So it feels sort of like a precursor to 2D beat-em-ups, like Vanillaware stuff. But it's not nearly that complex. Yeah, so it's not like a not like a Rastan. Like it's more 
combat oriented. Yeah, the thing is, it looks like Rastan, and that, I mean, it's more similar to that than it is to a lot of other things, but when you have enemies that have longer health bars and, uh, like, hit stun to deal with, then you get more into, like, uh, timing, and uh, the pacing of combat is more complex and dominates the flow of the game much more so than in Rastan when you're really just trying to make a straight line to the end of the level and clear out anything that's exactly in your path. So it's pretty old. Do you find that the complex interactions are work out well? Do you think the game is uh, thoroughly structured enough? For the most part, it gets a little busy sometimes. It has that arcade sense to it where it's pretty hard to believe that anyone could beat it in one credit. But for the most part, yeah, I think it, it works just fine. Alright, glad to hear. Undertale's combat system gives two major choices, acting and fighting. If you act, you can work through a series of dialogue choices and eventually spare the enemy. If you fight, you can damage and eventually kill the enemy. In this segment, we break down how to play through each option, what happens after you play through an option, and finally, how to compare one option against the other. Suzanne, Rio, to start, can you tell me what does it take, take to fight well in Undertale? Well, it depends on what kind of fighter you try. Uh, in particular, I mean... Um, you mean attacking? Yeah, it's it's a little weird because fight is called the session where an enemy attacks you, but it's also called the action where you hit someone. Yeah, so <laughs> I just um, attached the strongest weapon I had and tried to hit when the uh, bar was in the middle. Yeah, can you explain what the bar is? Yeah, it goes from left to right and you scroll past and you can click to hit. And the closer you are to the middle, the more damage it does. And for some, depending on the weapon you have, you can have just one attack or several attacks or, yeah. Okay, so different weapons have different attributes too. Yes, yes, I won't have just one attack, but a very strong one, and another one will have three attacks in a row. Okay. It kind of works like one of those uh, golfing minigames, actually. Huh? <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah! Uh, okay. I, I've seen yeah, that bar in other yeah. RPGs as well. Do you recall any? Or? I mean, the one that no one's going to know what it is that comes to mind first is Gladius, or... GameCube. What about Paper Mario? Mario <clears throat> bars. Yeah, Paper Mario does use similar bars to that. Okay. So there's some timing element to fighting well in that you have to time it when the bar is at the right place and the bar's movement is beyond your control. Fox, what happens when you kill an enemy? They die. Enemies <laughs> um. <laughs> die when they are killed? <laughs> uh, you, you get... A uh, bit of, what is it, love? Or is, that's your love. Uh, okay, so you get experience and you get gold, potentially. 
Do you want to know just in the context of a fight or externally? Uh, anything that's on your mind. If you kill someone, that affects how it can affect uh, how the other world will react to you uh, later on, depending on who you kill. Even. Can you give us an example of a time the outside world changed after you killed someone? The easiest example is and we're assuming everyone's beaten the game or doesn't care about spoilers. I think that's safe. Okay. The simplest example is like when you kill someone in a boss fight, like saying killing Papyrus right off the bat causes Sans to no longer want to accompany you for the rest of the trip. Man, what a loss. I didn't <laughs> care at all. I was so glad <laughs> to not have all that fucking yapping. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And Shouty, Fox mentioned that you got experience in gold. Those lead into other systems, right? Well, when you get gold, you can buy stuff. And when you get experience, um, your level increases. Those are both good things. Ideally. I mean, it depends on what you want. How do you mean by that? Well, you don't even need to kill an enemy to get gold. You can do that by sparing them. But having more, exp- having more experience to add to your level makes you stronger and more, more sturdy uh, to enemy attacks. And you can also defeat enemies more quickly afterwards. Yeah, okay. Any more thoughts on fighting and the nature of fighting? You know, I'll add on to this. So you're talking about the act of fighting, the, like the, the, the bar, right? The bar and what its result is when you use it in combat. Because the first question on the outline is, how do you fight well? So hopping off of that, I don't think there's really any strategy or better or worse. It's really just fighting is fighting. I don't think there's any strategy to it. As Zanrio mentioned, there's a timing element. It's true, but... I don't think the penalty for not getting center is, is really very great. It's challenge, but it's not strategy. Okay. Yeah, there's no option not to hit in the middle, really. Adrian, you mentioned some weird side case yesterday where you might not want to. Could you elaborate? Oh, right, right. It was about when you're doing a pacifist run, and that actually brings out a reason to not actually go straight for the center, because one of the ways... You- you can spare enemies is to lower just enough of their health so that you can spare them, which is kind of like catching a Pokemon. And in some ways, that's uh, I find I actually find that a lot more interesting than just dealing out your strongest attack, because then you actually have to pay attention to how much damage you're going to deal depending on what part of the bar you decide to time it on. You actually have to pay a lot more attention to the numbers you're dealing out, whereas in, say, other games, you don't really care what the numbers are, just give my strongest attack. Right. It's rare for an RPG to have a penalty for dealing too much damage. Well, that's not entirely true, because a lot of times when you're dealing with a party of characters, you want to balance your damage so that you don't have two guys who are doing like super overkill hit the really weak enemy, and then your weak guy hit the strong enemy, and then you've basically wasted like... That's a, a good huge point. amount of damage. Yeah, that that is the the one case where you are going to want to pay attention to the numbers more, and that is so you don't uh, waste your stronger guy's attack. Uh, of course, you know Undertale's a game where you only have one character, kind of like in Pokemon, where you only have you know one unit out at a time uh, dealing yeah. damage. And actually, even more specifically, having multiple characters in your party does that, but it has to be characters that act simultaneously versus. Some RPGs, you give a command to a character, that character acts, you see the result, and then the next character gets their turn. Whereas others, like what I'm describing, you give four characters their order, 
and then all four actions execute simultaneously. So that's when that kind of numeric strategy becomes important. Right. So that's interesting that, uh, you know, with a party, obviously, there's going to be some amount of complexity because you have multiple things going on at once. But with Undertale, on some level, there is a comparable amount of complexity, but with only a typically a one-on-one encounter, but, you know, you can fight more than one thing at once. Yeah. Maybe. The, the other reason I, I brought it up was because, uh, whereas yourself's example was to was so, you, you know, you don't waste... Basically, so you don't waste one unit's time dealing more damage to the enemy to an enemy that was nearly already dead when it could have been spent elsewhere. Uh, with Undertale's case, uh, the whole reason you don't want to do that uh, it has nothing to do with you know overkilling. It has to do with the morality in the game and playing to a pacifist run. Uh, I don't find that brought on by other games. Yeah, that's fair. Pokemon is pretty unique there. Because you know, saying like Final Fantasy three for DS or something, uh, that situation isn't brought on by I want to spare them, it's brought on by, I just don't want to waste one guy's time killing them too hard. Well, so the other thing that's missing from Undertale that is in some way slightly replicated by what Adrian's describing is uh, any concept of ammunition, like magic or power points. So that's the other time in RPGs where you're concerned about overkill, when you may have a spell available that'll do a ton of damage, but if you know this enemy isn't going to be a threat to you, then you don't want to waste the ammunition. Um, right. Undertale plays with your motivations in that sense. And that you have a different reason for, you know, limiting yourself. Yeah, it, it has to do with the playthrough and getting the pacifist run, which is a more long-term goal. Yeah. That was that was a weird way to put it, but I think you all uh, get what I'm, going, what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah. The other thing about the fight command... I'm not entirely sure of this, but I think sometimes if you hit an enemy too many times, you can no longer use certain actions. Uh, that wouldn't be, surprise me. I haven't seen that because I just never fight. But uh, Undertale seems thorough enough that I would expect that. I don't remember exactly where I tried it, but I know one of the boss battles, halfway through, I decided to try to switch to actions because it looked like I was going to lose. And... The enemy just ignored everything I tried to do. It's interesting. Which boss was that? I don't remember. Oh, okay. It was. I'm sure it was before I learned how the gloves critical hit works, where you have to mash the button instead of using the golf meter. All right. So, Zanrio, there's an alternate way to get through encounters uh, if you act. So, can you explain how that process works? Yeah. You have to post... Yeah, go to act part, and then then get a bunch of different options, and it varies from enemy to enemy, and you you basically just have to try everything and see what happens, and kind of a trial and error process for each of them. Can you give us an example of what the different actions might be? Check, which just gives you info about the enemy, and... It usually depends on the enemy. Yeah. Depends on enemy. So, Adrian, what are some different actions you've seen? Complimenting the froggets, you can also threaten him. <laughs> you can yeah. mystif- you can mystify a froggit later in the game. Yeah. In the end. True. I saw you had a preference for threatening them. I didn't think that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's. It's because I forgot compliment actually works. <laughs> oh, 
Whoops. But yeah, there's Give actually a compliment. Yeah. It turns out that both there's actually two ways to spare a frogget, uh, not including the mercy spare. Fox, what's your ultimate goal when you perform actions in combat? To make them, I guess, docile. Docile enough so I can end the combat, end the encounter mercifully. There's, I don't think there's ever really reason to use an act for anything else or to just see a funny response. Yeah, so actions uh, eventually turn the enemy's name yellow, at which point you can spare them. Right. There are a couple times, fairly not worth mentioning, where you have to act. Like, fighting won't do anything. Do you, really? Oh yeah, uh, when you're fighting against the mad dummy. For instance, Metatron. I didn't know that. And the mad dummy. Can't defeat the mad dummy by fighting. That's interesting, but there's never a point where you have to fight, right? The mad dummy you just wait out, right? Yeah. You get him to shoot well, himself... Have- yeah, but that's not fighting. That's still being passively attacking. Yeah, but you don't fire. need to act. With oh, Metatron, so. you have to hit the switch on his back. Otherwise, you can't oh, fight him. That's true. Is there ever a point at which you have to fight? Um, yes. I mean, yeah. the, the penultimate boss, you do. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, that's right. So, Shouty, what are the consequences of sparing an enemy? You get gold. And they leave you alone. You get less than you do if you fight them. Yeah, and um, if you spare them enough times, you'll find that they appear on the overworld as NPCs. Oh, really? Like the different random encounters will appear as NPCs? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that too. When I backtracked to Snowden for I don't even remember what reason, I started seeing the Christmas tree deers and the snow hats. So, Shadi, are there any other... Uh, impacts on the world if you choose to spare something? Um, you get to see more characters, basically. Enemies are NPCs, and uh, the dog enemies, especially, you see at the bar if you haven't killed them. <laughs> okay. What skills would you say it takes to get an enemy to a spare point? Reading the situation, socially speaking, or I guess just doing trial and error and being good at uh, dodging enemies' attacks and, and trying to wait them out. Until you found out how to spare them. So I guess also patience takes into account. Zanrio, could you explain a time where you had to read a situation in order to spare someone? At first I tried sparing Metaton X. So I just tried everything, but I, <laughs> but I ended up not getting it to work. Nothing seemed to really work, so I guess I, that's the battle just that we're really patient for. And that seems like a trend with boss battles, right? Yeah. So I end up just killing most of the bosses in my first playthrough, because I, I just want to get through the game and get the neutral ending. Yeah, the bosses get pretty strict, and if you have to wait them out, then their patterns get super crazy. And especially when you haven't killed anything before, if, you, if you're going for a pacifist run, then it's going to be harder since you have... Less HP. Yeah, I used a lot of items. Um, yeah, kind of stock up on heal items before. Yeah. And sometimes you have to go back really far just to get to the shop where you can buy them. Yeah, that sucks when that happens. Yeah. So trying to get through combat 
on actions alone takes a lot more grit and you have to practice at it. Yeah. You really have to pull your resources together. It's usually with the bosses that I find that's the case. Uh, with the standard enemies, though, I think actions were, was actually an easier way to get rid of them than, you know, fighting them out. Especially after going through a pacifist so much of the game where, you know, at that point, you're really too weak to dish out enough damage to finish them off. Well, I'm assuming that anyways, because even in the beginning of the game, when I first hit a frog, I'm like, wow, that didn't do a lot of damage, so that's why it's just stuck to actions, because you could just mercy them in like one turn, maybe two turns. Is that typical of Undertale, that enemies uh, only take one or two turns to get them into a spareable state? Yeah, the longest one that I can think of is the muscle dude, and that's just flex three times, so that's that's like the longest it is. Flex three times, and there you go. He's You don't even have to hit the spare button, so he spares him. He flexes himself out of existence. <laughs> so three turns is the longest uh, that it takes for me to, for the standard enemies. The bosses is a different story, as we've covered. So that's an optimal run of an enemy, but... How much work did you typically have to put into sparing an enemy on your first time? There's only so many options, so it wouldn't take that long for me to figure out how to get them into a sparable state. And not only that, but as Chowdy alluded, some a lot of them give you clues for how to deal with them. For example, the snow hats have an ostentatious-looking hat, so ignore them, and then they'll start getting jealous. Or you pay attention to their dialogue, it's like, yeah, you're jealous of my hat or something along those lines. And of course, the muscle dude. When you see a muscle dude and one of the options was flex, like that was the first thing I picked and that's why I was able to figure it out on the first go. In fact, even some of the bosses, mini bosses, I don't know what you want to call them, but like say the dog that you first find who's like, something move? I can't see things unless they move. Like gives you a really uh, obvious clue for how to deal with his attacks and how to beat him. Yeah, it sounds like the enemy's attack is... Maybe the most complex challenge in the game, and that it calls upon uh, you know you have to you have to time stuff right, and you have to move around the screen right, and sometimes attacks get so complicated that it helps if you can memorize what they do. Uh, whereas fighting, assuming you want to kill the person, just boils down to timing, and uh, the actions can either be brute forced or you can memorize what the right thing is. Right. You're still going to deal with their attacks either way. You know, whether you're beating them to death or giving them a cup of tea or something. So even if you're doing um, a genocide run, you still have to deal with Papyrus's bone moves. You just might be able to beat him in fewer turns versus someone doing a pacifist run. But you still got to be good at dodging. And if you're not good at dodging, well, I hope you brought healing items. Otherwise, he's going to knock you out before you can knock him out. Yeah, I only meant to mention that um, the most complicated brand of challenge is shared across all runs of the game. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, there's no combat options I'm missing there. It's really just those two, right? And I guess you could consider fleeing. There's only one time when fleeing is actually relevant to one of the fights. Is fleeing reliable on random encounters? I've been doing uh, it constantly. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, thank yeah. God someone knows. <laughs> there should be a cowardice run. <laughs> so Fox, would you say fighting as hard or is easier or how would you compare the difficulty of fighting versus acting? I'd say they're equivalent difficulty because all the challenge comes from 
dodging the in-between phases. Uh, Shouty, do you agree? I don't know. I think, actually, it might be a little more difficult when you're doing acting, because there are some enemies where you have to uh, do a certain thing during the in-between phases, like um, the, the Vegetoid enemy and the Washua enemy. You have to ask them to do something in their attack, and when you do that thing while they're attacking, that's when they become sparable. I think what you're referring to is enemies that have green things during their attacks. Yeah, that heal you. If you need to do something during the act to spare them, then it's only collecting some green bullet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yourself, would you say that fighting is as hard as acting? It's hard to say. I mean, I think everyone's been right already that they are pretty much identical difficulty. The only additional difficulty I found with acting is that you don't have as good a sense of progress. Obviously, an enemy's health bar lets you know how close you are to beating it with fighting, and so that makes it easier to pace your items. In the instances where I used actions, it wasn't as clear. It's a little bit harder just because you don't know what to uh, expect, and then it sort of can end suddenly. Well, I think it always ends suddenly. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't do actions a ton, but... I mean, I did for one of the boss fights, and I just had absolutely no idea whether it was working or not, whether it was making any progress. I just decided I was going to stick with it till I either died or the fight ended. And it I honestly don't know if the fight was waiting to see when I was almost dead or if my actions finally worked. It really wasn't clear. I had a similar experience with Toriel, and if there had been a spare bar, I would have figured out how to beat it. But uh, as it is, I tried to spare her. She gave me dots, and so I assumed that did nothing. And, uh, you know, there's some variable on the back end that's saying, uh, keeping track of how sparable Toriel is, but the fact that it's not shown to you, I feel, plays into the puzzle nature of trying to spare guys. I, I think I, that's just what... Um... What makes uh, this it, it makes sparing enemies like difficult on a social awareness level, like, I don't a, know. like a social social ability. I mean, the one that I did was just okay. So I spared the spider lady, uh, mm-hmm. and all I did was give her money, just repeatedly, and <laughs> that was it. I did the same. Uh, I have no idea if I actually had to give her money or if I just had to last a certain amount of turns. It's just or, lasts a certain amount of turns. Yeah. So it's trial and error, but in a sense that I don't even know what the solution was. I guess maybe that doesn't matter. It doesn't feel that satisfying. Get the social ones with the enemy. But the only choices were give her money or struggle. That's socializing. Xanrio, mm. <laughs> <laughs> would you say that fighting is... More rewarding or less rewarding than acting? Well, Python is just the same thing over and over again. And acting, uh, you get a different thing each time. Play enemy, and it can be interesting to try to figure out just how to handle this enemy. So the process itself is more rewarding when you act? Yes. However, it can get a bit annoying when you have to meet that same enemy over and over again. Yeah, there's only so many times you can flex. Yeah, since you all don't know what to do, and you have always hoped that, so... Well, we have to go through that 
process again, including dodging their attacks once again. I had the thought that maybe that's why random encounters are so rare, in that it's kind of boring to sit through the same text puzzles over and over. Yeah. Yeah, but then that still does make you wonder, why are there random encounters? Or did you come up with an answer for that? No. No. Speak for yourself when you're trying to grind for Temi College. Well, you have to grind. I mean, if everyone's already seen it, you have to grind to get genocide. That's all it is. You don't need to grind for Temi College. Yeah, you do. You need money for Temi College. You can uh, play the piano and get that dog saliva ball thingy. How much does that even cost? You can sell it for... It's, it's random. Sometimes she likes the item... It's like the dog thing it produces more and she'll give you like nine bucks for it but you just grind selling the same thing over and over again because you can produce know, infinite that, of it. That seems disingenuous because I'm just stealing her money and then giving it back to her. Yeah, yes. well, it allows it. <laughs> I'd rather grind and not feel like an asshole. I'd rather frisk other money, money from other people. Yeah, you'd rather steal other people's money or convince <laughs> them, I guess, to give you Yeah. Make right. other people pay for me to go to college. <laughs> Fox, would you say the outcomes of killing someone are uh, better or worse than the outcomes of sparing someone? Outcomes of... What do you mean by the outcomes? Like the reactions or the consequences? The consequences, both immediate and down the road. Like, narratively, I don't think fighting is as rewarding as sparing someone. It feels like, uh, at least thematically, the game is always... If you, if you ever try to choose the violent approach, uh, it always seems like it, it browbeats you over it or gives you a guilt trip over what you've done. So the difference is just in the tone the game takes with you? Right. At least that's how I felt. Okay. Well, there's a lot more dialogue, I think, if you're not fighting. Yeah. For instance, we mentioned earlier that Sans goes away if you kill Papyrus. Mm-hmm. So you never have to listen to his stupid mouth anymore. So is it fair to say there's less content if you fight? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I, I kind of started regretting killing some of those mini-bosses later on in the game since I missed out on the later cutscenes and interactions with them. So yourself, how do you decide which to choose? I guess if you like the game, you should act, and if you don't like the game and are just trying to get to the end of it, you should fight. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, one caveat being that if you like the game a whole boatload, then you would want to have a separate playthrough just for killing everything to squeeze the last ounce of content out of the game. I guess. that's That depends. I mean, you know, you can play the game repeatedly and get like your neutral ending five times or something like that. Do you think someone that really likes the game and really likes the characters and whatever is getting more out of it by doing a genocide run? A genocide run gets you stuff like a Sans boss battle, right? So I feel like there's a couple, like one or two really neat things that happen on a genocide run, and you would need to be intensely in love with the game to pursue those things. So it it requires a sort of distance defection for it there, right? Like, the game wants you to be in its weird cultish mood, and so you are sort of sinning against it by doing a genocide run. 
And yet the game requires that you care about it to get to the genocide run because you need to put more time into it to grind, right? Yeah, that's what's weird about it. It uh, is asking you yeah, to put work into it to see that ending. So, yeah, I don't know. Hang on, I have a question. You keep saying you have to grind to do a genocide run. Uh, why is that? To do a genocide run, you have to kill every single random encounter. You just keep fighting random encounters until they stop. There's a finite amount of random encounters? Yeah. Jesus! So it's like, I think it's 20 to 40 per area. Oh, and you have to do that to meet genocide. Genocide isn't just killing major characters and whoever you come across. No. Okay. You have to kill, kill everything you have the opportunity to and grind random battles until they end. Okay, it's yeah, that's a lot more extreme than I thought. That doesn't, yeah. no. Taking genocide to a, a level I was not aware of. Yeah. So it's what fair. I was imagining was a genocide run is probably more of like a low neutral run or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, probably what I did, which is just kill everything. <laughs> Because we had an easy time with Undertale, our decision to choose act or fight comes from how we want the game to react, whether we want characters to stick around or to leave, that kind of thing. We aren't challenged by the game, and we can just as easily choose act or fight, so we're free to choose whichever reaction we want. So how do we pick one? Undertale's morality is one motivation. Our discussion here sheds some light on making decisions, but For a thorough discussion of Undertale and morality, please listen to episode 61 of the Commune Podcast. Shouty, how does the game imply a moral dimension to your combat choices? Well, when you're going for a genocide run, it's clear that the enemies are afraid of you when you run out of random encounters. And the game just overall is more fearful of you when you decide to take a more um, hostile course of action. That shows the consequences of your actions, but how would you tie that back to morality, a system of right versus wrong? I mean, by showing the consequences, it's basically saying you're, whether or not you're a good or a bad person. So that, that requires me to come in with some pre-existing knowledge of, you know, the game has to play to what I think is a good or a bad thing. Mm, I don't know. At the end of my game, Sans outright told me I was a <laughs> terrible person. Okay, so there are certain characters that make judgments of you based on what you do, and that keys you into morality, the moral implications of your encounter approach. Are there other games that imply that what you've done during combat is either good or bad? That derive moral judgment? I have an answer. The Ogre Battle series does that. You have to be careful about who you fight and how you fight them. Otherwise, you'll become less popular. It's not to the same extent as it is in Undertale, in that it's not like a black-and-white system where you can just choose not to fight, but you're expected to only fight necessary battles and only kill so many enemies. And there are other nuances to it as well, like particularly virtuous enemies you're supposed to leave alone. or not supposed to, but... 
your character has an alignment like virtuous or chaotic and the more you fight virtuous characters the more chaotic you become uh which will result in stuff like characters will leave your army the plot will take different twists if you're uh at a certain alignment and ultimately there are a whole bunch of different endings as well so that's another game where your performance in combat can be labeled good or bad but there's uh, maybe more nuance in how it's applied because you have to judge who you're fighting against. Yeah, it's very particular about it. You don't want to use really overpowered units. You don't want to grind. You don't want to annihilate weak units, etc. Okay. Did we have any other thoughts? Yeah. Mine's is probably going to cover... It's going to cover both the moral dimension and the acting versus fighting thing. The thing about this game is that it actually pushed me to the pacifist run. And the other thing is that the whole you can play this game without killing anyone, it's not like it's some well-kept secret. I mean, it's something that the game kind of pushes you very early in the beginning of the game to where one of the froggets actually gives you that really useful tip. If the enemy's name's in yellow, you can spare them. So that... And the fact that characters do actually talk about it. In fact, I actually had to replay. I had to restart my file because when I got to Undine, she started calling me a murderer. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Because I couldn't even remember the one enemy I accidentally killed towards the beginning of the game. So, you know, you want an example of uh, moral dimension affecting my combat choices where there you go. In fact, it affected my whole playthrough. By the way... That does, like, pretty seriously break the fiction when she knows about the things you kill in the ruins. Yeah, it does. Yeah, but, I don't know, based on the ending, is the game even trying to be serious role-playing? A fair point, yeah. Yeah, I, I wrote it to game logic. So, yeah, that's another thing, is that I actually found the... I made a remark earlier, although I'm, I've kind of backed a bit on the pacifist run being easier... I find that mostly true for the standard enemies, and now that it, what I, with what I've learned about genocide, it's, it's definitely not only just easier, but probably more rewarding, too. And the exception would be with the bosses, but with the bosses, because I actually like the little shmup minigames that they have, I actually just welcomed the challenge. Right, when you try to spare someone, you're going to see all of their attacks, right? Yeah, the standard enemies don't have enough attacks that uh, sparing them within that one turn or two turns or whatever, you're going to miss out on much of anything. Also, you count encounter them more than once, so it's not that big a deal. Versus with the bosses, I kind of would care a bit if I killed, you know, Papyrus, you know, three turns or four turns into the fight when he actually has, like, eight turns of different moves. Uh, that's another unique thing about the bosses, is that they actually do have a sequence that they go through unlike other enemies where it's just a, a generic move that has some randomization to it. In particular, one that Shadi brought up last night was the spider boss where you get through breakfast, lunch, and dinner, assuming you don't kill it or you don't eat a spider item in front of it. Yeah. To me, I actually did find it rewarding to survive through that uh, whole thing because um, you know, it was a pretty tough fight. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And now for the moral dimension thing, I didn't want the story guilting me. And the other thing was that I, I did like the characters, so that's just another reason why I just don't want to kill them, to where it actually affected one of my dialogue choices, to where I deliberately lied 
so that I could appease Papyrus. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, you can lie or insult them. Yeah. Even though technically it doesn't actually affect the game at the time I thought it did, and that was an example of the morality affecting one of my decisions. Your understanding of its morality. Yeah, my understanding of its morality affected my decisions. So, uh, Zanrio, would you say when you enter an encounter and you want to fight or you want to act, do you think that's an interesting choice between the two of them? Yeah, it's something I I haven't seen a lot before, and it's interesting to see, uh, be able to make different choices there. And yeah, just a pun game mechanic and a pun choice and what affects the game later on. So yeah. Yeah, it's a choice that has a lot of repercussions, both immediate and throughout. Yeah. All right. Uh, Any other thoughts on encounters in Undertale? I guess because of the nature of the pacifist run, it actually kind of made that less of an interesting choice. Because, one, I was never able to engage with that whole, you know, Pokemon whittle their down health to almost nothing so that you can spare them because it comes with the risk of accidentally killing them. So I always just picked actions because nearly every enemy in the game has it so that you can act them uh, to a mercy state. Are you saying that the choice between a pacifist or a neutral run might be interesting, but once you've made that choice, everything else is set? Yeah, because like what I said with um, with Undin, once you kill that one enemy, that ruins the whole thing. I never, ever want to click that fight button. So you're really motivated by that ending there. <laughs> yeah. You could say I'm determined. <laughs> you said that the choice between fight and act has long and short-term consequences. I would disagree. I would say it only has long-term consequences, and that in the short term, it's totally irrelevant which one you pick. What would you say to experience points? I mean, that's a long-term benefit in and of itself. All right. Per fight, you don't get an experience, uh, or you don't get a level reward. Yeah. And I also mentioned earlier that when you're playing to a pacifist run, and it's hard to make that decision. You know what? I don't want to do this to me. I want to start killing things now because you haven't been leveling up. You probably haven't been picking up the weapons. So it's it's sort of a too late to turn around point. You really do got to stick to a path. And if you decide you want to kill everything, deciding to spare things later is just not really worth your time because you're just throwing away experience for no real good reason. Yeah, it seems like you could accomplish the same thing that the menu does, the fight menu does, by just having an option at the beginning of the game, do you want to play the neutral route or the pacifist route? And then on the pacifist route, only allow the player to use actions. I get what you mean, but you know, it's still, I, I don't think anyone would want that. But you said yourself you started the game over just to get the pacifist route. Yeah, that was because I'd forgotten I actually killed an enemy uh, right. toward the beginning of the game. So you never wanted to do it. Or, I mean, you realized that that was just... That short-term decision contradicted the long-term outcome you were looking for, and therefore you needed to totally reset. Yeah, but I still don't think... I still don't want my the game to you know, to limit my choices that way. So if I do make a mistake like that, I kind of would rather just own up to it. You still want to be able to bear the responsibility for your actions. Like, uh, in order for something good to have weight to it, you need to have the bad option there to complement it, right? 
Yeah, yeah but isn't to, that what we've been getting at the entire time? That the bad option needs to be tempting. No. So, because you made a mistake early in the game, you think that that, that makes it an interesting choice? Like, it was an interesting choice that you didn't know that fighting was going to ruin a fast restaurant? No, that's, I said... I said as much. I don't think it makes it an interesting choice, but it's not a problem that it doesn't make that an interesting choice. I could have continued on with the neutral run if I so chose. I mean, that option was still there. But because I was set on playing a pacifist run, that's why I stuck with it. Here's the thing. Undertale doesn't need to have moral grayness. It okay. has, I don't think this has anything to do with moral grayness. It just has to do with a superficial suggestion of choice. Like, I think there's one choice you make in the game. Am I going to ever use fight? So, putting it there throughout the game, again, on a superficial level, does make you feel, I guess, like you're opting out of it, but without any sense of temptation or interest to the choice then it's not actually a game with any sort of... where that's any sort of continuous element. What would you say if, uh, you know, on my first playthrough, I didn't realize it was possible to get through completely without fighting, and it wasn't until I saw Flowey's message at the end that I realized you, you can literally get through without ever using fight. So there is an element of knowledge there that you might not have. So it's interesting that up until you learn that there's only one or two ways to go. Yeah, I guess I can give you that. Um, about choosing between pacifist and neutral, whatever, and then just locking out the other option at the beginning of the game uh, so you don't you know, fuck yourself or whatever. Just that it would just make it less meaningful. That's what I would put it simply as. That being able to fuck yourself has meaning, lends meaning. Yeah, because it's kind of like real life in a way where you can't go ha- halfway between things. Sure, you can finish the game, but then you get a shitty ending, which is why you want to commit yourself to a route. And if you basically make it so that players are forced to get... And that's the other thing. It's sometimes just forcing players like that just because of a choice they make at the beginning is, isn't always a good thing. Or how should I put it? It just doesn't sit well with me. And if that was in the game, I would I would say it does take away the a bit of the meaning that this game has with the don't you know don't kill because you literally took away my option to kill because of a because I chose not to kill anyone in the beginning of the game that has to be something I make in every encounter like that's what I want it to be. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I meant when I said you might enjoy not choosing fight just for the sake of not choosing fight. From a gameplay perspective, I don't think it makes a difference for it to be there. Yeah, it requires buying into the fiction. Or just in a sense, I mean, it doesn't even need to get to the level of the fiction. Just committing to role-playing or whatever. So, Shouty, this game has some wonderful tunes. But I would like to know, if you had to pick a favorite, I know they're like your children, but if you had to pick a favorite, what is your favorite song from Undertale? I like the theme that plays when you're in Waterfall. Why is that? 
because it has ambience and melody at the same time. It's basically sold me on music. Sounds good. Fox, what is your favorite song from Undertale? I was going to say that one. Oh, no. Damn. Oh, no. Tommy uh, for stealing. I'm a, I'm a little fond of, uh, what is it called? Uh, Bone Trozel? What's that? Uh, Papyrus' Paris, theme? His battle theme? Okay. Yeah. I only like that theme when it when it plays in the trailer because it has that huge build up part and I like it. I've never heard that. It's in the trailer. I'll take your word for it. Fox, would you admit that there is a certain level of bias given that he's named Toby Fox? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Oh. Fox, I was Fox. surprised that it didn't comment on my choice of name when I popped it in. <laughs> I, was, I was expecting something. <laughs> hmm. Wait, you give your real name? I threw. I just threw Fox in. Okay, I give my real name. I uh, honestly forget who I. Yeah, I just. Uh, I mean, I remember Adrian's choice. Yeah, I, I, just... I gave it something uh, very appropriate. That a mother would name her daughter. I just went with the standard name, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> right, the very typical RPG hero name. <laughs> yeah. no, I just went with Sanrio. Sanrio, do you have a favorite song from Undertale? Oh, jeez, I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of awesome music there. But I can say I, I'm listening to a Metaton EX theme. Alright. Lunch lately, some of the parts of that are really good. I think. Sounds good. Yes. Yourself, do you have a favorite song from Undertale? Favorite song? I assume you already ruled out Mushroom Dance because that'd be everyone's answer. <laughs> is, it, is would that be your answer? Well, whose wouldn't that be? It's the best song. I, I don't think that's in the soundtrack. Uh, well, that didn't stop me from finding a 15-minute version of it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and you, uh, Adrian, do you have a favorite song from Undertale? Yes, it's Hotland Laboratory. Goodly Goodington. Sanrio, any final words? Determination. <laughs> yes, knowing that the mouse might one day... Yeah. ...get the cheese. One uh, day, one day cut the Leave the, the hole cheese. and pine cheese, yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Fox, do you have any final words? This game really helped me understand what it is I... Like... My understanding of the split between JRPGs and, and CRPGs that I'm fond of. And I think it's that, uh, and I don't think JRPG would even be the right term, but it's more like experience based games versus simulation games. And that I think JRPGs are typically games where they have something to tell you. And that's what I feel I got from Undertale, whereas other RPGs that I'm more fond of are games where they. They have something set up, and they you run through your person with personality bits, and they simulate a world around that. And I feel like uh, the choices in Undertale initially blurred that for me, but I think it, having a discussion made it clearer that it's really just trying to give me a message. You feel like you got undertold in Undertale. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Yourself, any final words? 
Well, I posted this on the forum already, but I don't think Undertale's an RPG at all in any capacity. Um, it's a game, it, at least. Yeah, it's a game, <laughs> but it's not trying to be an RPG, I don't think. It's doing some weird thing where it says it is, but... but what would it be? What genre would you place it in? Probably visual and novel. But uh, in more direct response to what Fox just said, one of the interesting things I've always found with WRPGs or computer RPGs or whatever you want to call them is that the role-playing aspects I actually generally don't like, or I shouldn't say generally, but in the ones I've played I haven't liked it because I feel that they slot you into some 5, 10, 15 personality types and then a lot of times the plot develops around that. So I think Undertale is an example of what happens when you only have two. So while I don't think it's really any type of effective commentary on Western RPGs, I still feel like it does echo my same issues with them uh, in that the choices are so clearly flagged as choices that they're not interesting. But without actually having a Western RPG on hand to discuss, that might not be such an interesting comment. I can I can think of several that would fit what you're describing. I know Bioware in general tends to like to give you three characters, or maybe yeah. like a a good guy, uh, a snarky guy, a bad guy, and then some. Maybe if if you're fortunate, there's a middle path. Yeah, I've I've played a couple of there, so those definitely. Uh, exemplify what I mean. And I think something I said to Golem uh, in a game I brought up earlier, Ogre Battle, I think probably is the most interesting choice system of any game I've ever played. And it sets it in a much more realistic context than Undertale with more... uh, it, It does venture into the morally gray areas. And tends to ask you more philosophical questions and more personal questions that don't necessarily map onto personality types. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I could sometimes affect the story in unpredictable ways. But I think unpredictability is what makes choice interesting. I've been thinking about Walking Dead, the Telltale game. I haven't played it yet, but from what I hear it doesn't have any explicit labels on your actions. So you might have actions where one choice has does a good thing and a bad thing, and a different choice does a different good thing and a different bad thing, and you just have to kind of weigh, like, well, which good thing is better than the other good thing? And um, the game doesn't have any explicit rewards, but rather you get to see your, act- your consequences pay forward, and, um, you know, maybe what you did is good and maybe it's bad, and... Uh, and then you get kind of a, a cool stat sheet where you get to see how many people agreed with you or disagreed with you who played the game. So that seems like it plays into Ogre Battle. Or and not plays into comparable to under comparable to Ogre Battle in the sense that your actions don't have an explicit consequence. Yeah, I think it probably is closer to that. So it does sound like actually, you know what? I played some of the Fables game, whatever that's called. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that did have, like, it was more ambiguous stuff. I never got through it. I actually should go back to that sometime, though. And those are pretty much visual novels, right? Which is uh, where you put Undertale. 
Yeah, those are, they definitely are. And as a matter of fact, they even have quick time events that you could compare to the shoot 'em up mini games and yeah. yeah. I was about to say that, you know, the if you view Undertale as a visual novel where the puzzles the consequence for not solving a puzzle is going through another turn of uh, some, you know, real time challenge where you have to dodge stuff. That doesn't sound too dissimilar from Telltale's brand of challenge. Adrian, any final words? Oh, you know, I enjoyed Undertale, and uh, I'm not sure when I'll be doing a second playthrough for a True Pacifist run. Might want to try that sometime later when, so that more of the story can seem fresh again. Yeah, Undertale's a nice game where a second playthrough doesn't seem too intimidating. It's easy, like, not that it's short, but it's easy. Yeah, that, w- that was another thing that I liked that. Because of the morality, I like that it gives you different ways to play it. Shouty, any final words? I still think Undertale is the best game ever right now. Even after all that was, that's been said about moral grayness and choices, I, I still think Undertale is rich in the two choices that it offers. Whether you choose to act or, or you choose to fight, both are rewarding. Yeah, in their own ways. And I think that they reward the kind of person... And uh, they, they were, they're rewarding for the, the, kind of, the two different kind of people that would make those choices. The kind of person who would choose fight would find the rewards of fighting rewarding. Yeah. And the same goes for acting. I don't think that I feel that way. Well, you should. <laughs> there is the brand of RPG player who enjoys grinding just for chilling or whatever. I've ne- never entirely gotten that, but there is some kind of defense for wanting to grind and... It's nice that Undertale has an explicit reward for if you grind, you get this extra thing. I don't know. That one's a little out there for me, even for, out there for me. I don't think a grinder would find the, the kind of grinding you do in Undertale rewarding. Uh, why not? Uh, I think the people who do that are more into like min-maxing character builds, and there's really no such thing in Undertale. Like, there's there's yeah. really no, no class, there's no real stat system to speak of. It's really just if you want to keep dodging bullet hell repeatedly or not. Yeah. That's for people who are interested in cultivating stats, but there's also the kind of person who just wants a repetitive action, like a Zen garden kind of experience. Yeah, but are you making this up? Or is this- no. <laughs> the other- no, this is real. The other thing with grinding is you usually do it just to make the game easier for itself. It's never like a requirement. Like That's like the, an extreme form of kill five Muppets in a MMO or something, because here it's like literally kill every single random encounter until the area stops. That's that's not even grinding because you're not you're not trying to get a virtual resource. You're trying to complete the the genocide run. That's its requirement. That's true. The goal is not internal; it's external. It yeah, it really just doesn't make sense. All right, thank you everyone for joining us. See you later. All music in this podcast is from Undertale. I'll leave you with this final thought. We pondered whether the choice between acting and fighting is interesting, and our discussion revealed the structure of combat. 
by separating acting and fighting into their own menus, Undertale breaks your choices into chunks. For instance, when you decide to spare an enemy, you no longer have to reflect on the options in the fight menu. The fight system and the act system do little, although still something, to affect one another. As Adrian says, though, this choice does not need to be interesting, so maybe the question of interesting choices is the wrong angle for approaching Undertale. Are acting and fighting interesting in themselves? If you have any comments or questions, please email vgcommune at gmail.com. The Commune Podcast is paid for by the monsters in Undertale, who are very financially generous if you spare them, or if you defeat them. That infamous one, because you brought up Walking Dead, and one of the things that that thing talks about is how, um, basically it says that when you give obviously good choices, obviously evil choices, you know, all that kind of thing sucks because I'm always going to make the good choice, I'm never going to make the evil choice, and in some ways, you could probably throw Undertale in there too, and I even commented as much as that, I felt very pushed to do the pacifist run like, one, because I like the characters, two, because I actually felt gameplay-wise it made the game easier, and the times that it didn't, I just welcomed the challenge. But uh, the thing is, like, I don't think that's... that I don't think that's bad. I don't think that just because the choice is easy that there's anything wrong with that. Like, moral choices in the game, like, it's not about them being hard. It's about the choice simply being there. Like, I think that's the most important thing. So just because, so some people might be complaining, I don't, I'm not given a reason to be evil. It's like, you don't need one. Be evil. If you don't want to be evil, don't be evil. But the whole point of being evil is that you're not given a reason to be evil. That's the cool part of it when you do it in Infamous. And I think that's the thing that they kind of didn't get. And what some people, if they're criticizing, you know, Undertale for its morality, don't get either. I'm going to comment on that from like a role-playing perspective. If I see an option that's there and it doesn't seem to make sense for me, it pulls me out of my immersion. Uh, like, if I'm if I'm playing a character, I like to have a good motivation for doing something, and if none of those choices make sense for me, I, I get really annoyed. Wait a minute. Well, isn't the whole deal with role-playing that you're pretending to be someone else? Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to pretend to make the choices they would make. Right, and if they don't have the choice... So wait, I didn't get in. I didn't follow in particular what you took issue with what Adrian just said. So I, I know I thought he was going to say something more. Fox, are you saying that if you're role playing like a virtuous cleric or something like that, you don't think that the choice to fight should be there because you would never? I mean, that's just counterintuitive to what the character is. Uh, no, not quite. I guess I don't really have filled out what I mean to say. Okay. I, I Oh, fuck my alarm. Hang on. I actually had one more point, and this was something I brought up last podcast, and I'll probably bring it again there too, but I'll just bring it up now just because you guys might not be there for it. And it's that about what Undertale's morality is, it's a really obvious one. You know, killing people's bad. That's basically what it is. 
But what it's not is Undertale is not some anti-violence thing. Because one of the options you do have for sparing people is beating them just enough so that you don't kill them. And that's still considered a pacifist run. So, you know, by the game's own internal logic, it's not really anti-violence. It's just anti-killing. And in a real-world sense, I would say that if that is what it was, that it would be naive. Because trying to solve the problems without ever physically hurting someone? Yeah, like, get real. You'll have a hard time trying to do that. Because otherwise, the whole, you know, don't kill people shtick, that's been done in superheroes, like, all the time. Spider-Man never kills anyone. Batman never kills anyone. That's kind of the thing, but, you know, they're still going to, you know, beat them up, grapple, whatever, do whatever. All right. I think we can leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I guess there's not much of a, of a controversy in what I said there. <laughs> probably not. Um, thank you all for joining me. I will cut off the. Report. It's okay to fight people if it's for the right thing. Just don't kill them. <laughs> <laughs>